Welcome to the Manmukti Podcast, where we speak up about South Asian mental health. This week's episode, which falls during Sexual Assault Awareness Month, is special not only because we feature a member of Manmukti, but because she has actually lived this experience and talks about not only what led up to it, but what got her through it. We hope you listen, share, and speak up. All right. Hey, Vaidehi, thank you for coming on. Hey, Anand. It's great to be with you. So it's an honor for me to meet you, not only because you work at the uh, you know, famous Brown Girl magazine, but <laughs> also because you are in-house. You are this development chair of outreach at Munmukti. So, uh, That's correct. Yeah, it's, a, it's nice to meet you. So tell me about why you accepted the invitation to to be on this podcast? So one of the biggest reasons I accepted um, to be on the podcast for Munmukti is because sexual assault in our society is something that's so covered up. And lately it's something that's been ravaging our society like so hard, Um, especially like in the past few weeks with um, the Asif Abano case um, previously, uh, Zainab Ansari, um, the sexual assault is becoming a very, very big problem. And um, the important thing is to bring awareness to what's going on and not stay silent about it. And in my case, especially, I was silent for a very long time and I don't want to be silent anymore. Right. Yes, that's true. It is, it is a moment um, for, uh, for this to gain prominence in, in discourse and also for people to look back at their lives and see if this has affected them without them knowing mm-hmm. it, right? Exactly. Do you feel comfortable talking about your actual experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, this happened in 2014. I was a freshman in college. Um, I, had, I used to actually be on uh, my school's Bangladesh team and um, part of being on the Bangra team uh, was traveling to competition was a very, very big part of what we used to do. And at the time, I was um, on and off talking to someone, and um, we had talked about that, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to this dance competition. Um, you know, I'd like to see you there, because um, he was originally from uh, that area, so um, we had planned to see each other then. Um, and it's actually really weird because in the events like leading up to what had happened, like everything like had gone wrong just that entire weekend. So um, it's actually kind of ironic that that weekend turned out to be so so bad. Mm. Um, but yeah, so uh, we basically traveled four hours all the way to Knoxville. Um, we had gotten into a car accident on mm. the way there. Mm-hmm. Um, my phone was dead, so I actually couldn't um, tell anybody that you know where I was or what had happened. I. Uh, um, but then when we finally got to the hotel, um, so I had actually went and sat down. Um, in the lobby with all my luggage and stuff and um, I was waiting on my teammates to get their luggage 
and I hear a voice and I, I got up and I went to see who it was and it was him and at the time I was excited to see him like I didn't you know think of anything of it um, um, so yeah it was a very normal exchange um, in my head at least at that point um, you know I just thought hey he you know showed up at the hotel to surprise me you know no big deal but looking back I realized that I don't remember telling him where I'd be staying or, you know, any of that information. So looking back, that was actually probably the very first red flag that I should have noticed. Um, But after that, like, that day was pretty casual. Um, We, you know, talked for a little while um, and then he left and uh, the competition happened the next day. And so I didn't see him pretty much the entire day. Um, and after competition, um, obviously, like, being, um, in all that gear and everything, you probably want to take that off for the after party, so we all went back to the hotel to change, and that's when his persistence kind of started increasing, um, and he kept texting me, you know, asking when I'd be at the after party, um, you know, just constantly texting me, like, asking, like, I'm already here, where are you, I'm really looking forward to see you seeing you and all, all that and again like at the time I just thought you know hey he really wants to see me like this is great um and then I got to the after party and literally he was waiting right at the door for me um again I thought hey like he just really cares about me <laughs> um and he put, he put his arm around my waist and literally led me off and we spent most of the night with his friends um and of course like being tired from the entire day like I I kind of indicated that you know I like I'm tired I just you know don't want to do much and so he suggested you know why don't we just go hang out um at my hotel and I was like okay sure yeah like I genuinely thought like when he said hang out I genuinely thought that he wanted to hang out and so off we went and um when he when we got to his hotel we i literally just sat down on um the bed and he went off to the bathroom but when he came out of the bathroom he and this all happened so suddenly like i it still like kind of shocks me till this day like how fast this happened but one minute i was literally um, flipping through the channels and then next thing I know he's he's twisted his arm around his, my arm around my back and he basically has me pinned down on the bed and that's when it started um, and I mean after that it was just a constant struggle of um, me you know trying to push him off me constantly saying no um constantly saying you know you're hurting me please please stop like i don't want this etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. it sounds like um a part of this incident uh, relates to mm-hmm. knowing that guy before the event um mm-hmm. and developing a sense of who he was right Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, like, as you look back, 
Is there something mm-hmm. that people can look for in people who might be potential assailants? Things like red flags that you only see now looking back at this. And I know, I know you mentioned the fact that he showed up uh, at a place that you hadn't uh, told him about. So Exactly, yeah. I think the biggest thing for people to remember is if you feel like something's wrong, then it usually is. Um, obviously, like in my case, like I mentioned, um, he had showed up at the hotel with, as, as far as I know, without me telling him. Um, and then the fact that um, he separated me from my friends and took me to somewhere where it was just him and his friends. Um, that was also like a very big red flag that um, occurred in, I guess, my case specifically, but I'm sure occurs in a lot, a lot of other cases. The other thing I was curious about listening to your story mm-hmm. is um, like how guys can uh, can be kind of persistent or romantic or interested mm-hmm. without seeming like that. So. Um, as a guy, for example, like I, I might be curious about that, how I can convince or convey to a girl that I do love her or care about her, uh, and then mm-hmm. avoid doing things that would look like I'm uh, potentially going to be dangerous to her, right? So let's say that uh, I find out you're in a dance competition and I want to surprise mm-hmm. you there, right? So mm-hmm. how do I not look scary? Well, I think in this case, like consent above all is the biggest thing that you have to pay attention to so you know if for example like you think your example like say if you showed up to surprise me or something like that um if you know if i don't seem to reciprocate um what you're like whatever vibes you're giving me that's usually a sign for you to stop and especially like if someone says like no i'm not comfortable with this um Words like that, especially, like, they, they should definitely send right. a message to... Right, Not even just a guy, whoever, like, I mean, whatever the situation may be, um, it right. should send a message to the other person that, yeah. hey, like, I need to stop. Like, if a, if a person says no, no means no. There's no exception. Right. It sounds like, uh, generally, like a... The reason I ask this question is because in the wake of all these, not just, like, the obvious... Uh, egregious uh, events like the ones that are happening in India right now, but even the ones that are more vague that people seem to people seem to debate. For example, like the Aziz Ansari accusations. Um, right, right. I think that a central point is like common sense, you know, which is exactly. Uh, people are trying to intellectualize it a little bit more than it needs to be. Where mm-hmm. perhaps we just need to ask the question of what seems nice to do and what seems kind and what seems obvious. Exactly. Right? Um, mm-hmm. So if a girl does not say yeah, actually, no, that does not mean yes. That's an obvious. That's an obvious thing, right? Like you wouldn't go mm-hmm. give a haircut to someone just because they didn't say no. I don't want a haircut. You know. So why would you do that? Exactly. With, you know. Does that make sense? I say that because exactly. I, I I tried to get a haircut today, but they were closed. So <laughs> sorry for the stupid example. <laughs> You were, in, you were saying I mean, something. I interrupted. I'm sorry. Yeah. So actually, the funny thing is, um, and I actually realized this while writing a paper for my ethics class, um, I realized that, you know, we're taught at such a very young age the concept of consent. Like, 
think about the times that you know you're at home and you go you ask your parents to go play outside or you're at school and you ask your teacher to go to the restroom Mm -hmm. um we're inherently taught this concept of yes and no of asking for permission which is why i find it so ridiculous that we there's, there's humans out there that ignore this inherent knowledge that they have right um when it comes to respecting people's physical boundaries yeah that's true that's a good point um i think that something about that might have to do with uh like the young adult culture that is then thrust upon us so let's say Mm -hmm. that let's say that we have that mindset of personal bubble and uh, uh time out and detention and all these things that kind of have to do with uh, spaces that you belong to mm-hmm. and and then we go to high school and college where people are making out in the hallways and I remember when I was in high school that used to like freak me out because I was like first of all how do you kiss someone because <laughs> I, <don't>, I, <laughs> I don't know how to do that um, my only kiss example was like the Lion King and I didn't want to go lick a girl in the face you know it didn't seem like a very rom- romantic <laughs> thing to do <laughs> but then second of all my question was like uh, how are they each okay with that? Like, you know, there's a, there's an aspect of mm-hmm. consent that I didn't understand. Um, mm-hmm. And then you watch a music video, and then everyone's dancing upon each other uh, so closely that there certainly is no room for Jesus in between them, uh, or, or exactly. anyone else for that matter. And I I didn't know how, I didn't know kind of that world, and it intimidated to me. And I thought like I thought if I had to participate in this, I had to just uh, I had to throw myself into it, just like as just like the the men who seemed to succeed did do like they would go to a club and they'd mm-hmm. pick a girl up and then they would dance and it would it seemed romantic not predatory and the girls seemed right, to like right. it at least in media right so uh in, mm-hmm. in music videos or bollywood films uh men are chasing women the women say no and the men keep chasing women say no men keep chasing women say yes right exactly so and that's what we're like what kind of lesson is this to... you know yeah <laughs> So I mean that, that that's that's something that is a little bit of a um, it's a dissonance uh, in culture that mm-hmm. has to be addressed I think at some point but I think mm-hmm. you, you raise you raise a very lucid point which is that there's a common sense about this that that can be respected and uh, and then be made a successful approach to this whole uh, situation because I mean going through life you know you ask for permission on the simplest things like it boggles my mind that people can't ask for permission when it comes to something so huge right right i like i understand like everybody has you know their own sets of beliefs you know everyone has like everyone's free to to do what they want to do but at the same time it, it kind of makes you think like where do we draw the line you know right right um, I think it's safe to say that at least early on in a relationship, uh, mm-hmm. consent should be paramount, right? And oh, absolutely. And then if you know this person very well, then you can start doing mm-hmm. spontaneous things that might seem uh, like surprises, right? So showing up mm-hmm. unannounced and these kinds of things. Just as a rule of thumb, mm-hmm. it might be better to do those things later on. I'm just saying this for the benefit of guys who might be listening. Exactly. Right? I also, I wanted to ask you, because people may not know this, but Vaidehi not only is a uh, an essay writer, but she's a poet, and it's not every day that I get to talk to a poet, 
because I write some poems sometimes too. So uh, I wanted to ask you how you uh, became a poet and what that does for your mental health. Well, actually, like I, out of everything that happened that night, um, so the way actually everything ended, um, I ended up not hearing him from him uh, six months after, until six months after um, that night. And he proceeded to blame the entire thing on me, um, saying that I led him on and that um, what had happened to me was my fault. And after that, I didn't hear from him until two years later. And that was when I had published um, one of my first few, I guess, professionally written um, articles for the Odyssey where I didn't by name, I didn't do by name, but I wrote an open letter to him explaining what he had put me through and um, how it had felt. So I think, you know, professional article writing and poetry actually have both gone very, very hand in hand for me um, because it's not just the pain that I experienced that night, but any sort of pain that I experienced in general, it allowed me to get that out of my system because for so long I had not said a word about what had happened. Um, and it's hard to, you know, just keep your thoughts to yourself when they're literally suffocating you. So poetry and just writing in general has really helped me, I guess, reclaim what, um, what sanity I had before, um, you know, all these, I guess, series of unfortunate events started happening to me. Right. Then my next question was going to be about how you found your dignity again, and it seems like you've answered some of that. Um, is there anything mm-hmm. else that you've done to kind of uh, find uh, a reason to speak up? I think um, part of the reason I, I guess, have gained so much strength in really the past four years is because I have let go of a lot of people that were toxic to me. Um, I, I used to be the type of person that would really hold on to absolutely everybody I could because I never wanted to let anybody go. And I think that proved pretty detrimental to me um, because I, I just, I couldn't let anybody go. I, I thought, you know, if I let anybody go, um, that like that looks bad on me like I shouldn't be doing that um, but surrounding yourself with people that truly support you and truly believe in what you do um, I think that truly makes a difference in your ability to thrive in general not just you know speak up or voice your opinion um, physically mentally emotionally it makes you feel good about yourself and if right. you feel good about yourself um, you're able to, you know, not just speak for yourself, you're able to speak for others. Right. Right, that's true. Um, 
And Manmukti is a great place to do that for all the listeners. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> why I joined. <laughs> um, no, but that's at the same time as it is an obvious choice, um, it's not an easy choice. So exactly. Uh, I, I, I thank you for talking about this stuff um, so publicly and so bravely. Um, thank you so much. What is your relationship with the the person who did this to you now? Um, we're strangers. Mm. Okay, so you haven't communicated since that uh, piece? No. The last communication that I had with this person, mm-hmm. um, so like I said, um, six months after that night, he, you know, confronted me and told me that, you know, whatever was my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I didn't hear from him until two years later when, and I actually remember the exact month and year. It was December of 2016. Mm-hmm. And this was right after, I believe, the Brock Turner case hit, um, hit the news. And I, I don't know what came over me at that time. You know, I just, I guess like I was so tired of being caged that I, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to address him and I'm going to do it publicly. Right. Because at this point, like, I, I don't think I have anybody to fear. Right. And so, yeah, I just went for it. Um, the funny thing is, like, I never thought that I would get an apology. But when that article did end up getting published, I actually got an apology. And Fantastic. looking back at the time, I, like, I accepted it. I did accept it. But at the same time, like, I do wonder, you know, did he apologize because he actually meant it? Or did he apologize because I was finally brave enough to call out what he did? Right. I mean, it could be a, I guess it could be a mixture of both. But that's a good question to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be so, that I mean, hearing you say it made him think, like, uh, you know, this is more, more serious and its effect on her than I'd expected. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it maybe hearing your words or reading your words about what it did to you made him uh, mm-hmm. remorseful. So um, here's a question that I had is uh, a lot of men might have engaged in this kind of behavior in the past without realizing it, right? That's mm-hmm. what is happening yeah. now in Me Too, right? So uh, even spanning the range of something like Harvey Weinstein, but also uh, something as uh, maybe innocuous as just like workplace indecencies or something, like, something that right, people, right. people might not think of, or people might not think of these as, as uh, serious things. Um, mm-hmm. What is the best way to turn bad men into good men? This is a really good question. I actually don't have a very specific answer to this, but I think I think unfortunately the case with this situation is that a lot of times men don't learn until it's a female that they're close to goes mm. through this. Right. Right. That's a good that's but a good answer I, actually. Mm-hmm. That's a good answer to a um, good question. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I will say that in any situation, because obviously, you know, rape, sexual assault, harassment, it's not limited 
to just a female. Men can go through it just the same. Right, right yeah. In my opinion. That's true. I shouldn't have said male and female. I should have said no, accuser and victim or, or victim and a perpetrator. Course, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, you know, in any situation, you really have to turn it back on yourself. Like, if you, if, if someone did what you did to someone else, Mm-hmm. Um, how how would that make you feel? So, for example, like if if a if a guy you know came up to me and said, um, you know, sexualized me in some way, like making some sort of crude comment or something like that. If someone did that to him, how would he feel? You know, maybe maybe that would you know help men understand that their comments aren't just you know as the media has portrayed it as locker room talk or, you know, boys will be boys. It's, it's not that. It's harassment. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I will say, just because I've heard this from men, and I sometimes think this myself, is that a men and women per, uh, perceive uh, sexual mm-hmm. affrontation differently. So if a mm-hmm. woman approached me uh, and said something about me that was like a... Uh, sexually charged, I perceive it kind of differently than than a, a woman would because of the uh, just differences between these two events and what they represent. Mm-hmm. So a man who who says that about you represents not only a uh, an emotional threat, obviously, but a physical threat to you, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and it's also very common, right? So it's not that it's not that common that a man is uh, catcalled. Right. Yeah. No, and, it's and, not. And, and therefore, it's uh, it's not as uh, to me, like, threatening. It's it's almost so rare that it's almost uh, it's a it's a compliment, you know. And it, it never really mm-hmm. happens to me, but you know, I mean, despite what you might think, because of my amazing, uh, you know, appearance and all this, right? <laughs> but no, but it doesn't happen to me, right? So there, therefore, mm-hmm. a lot of men uh, don't get this kind of attention, and so whenever they get it. They are very thrilled about it. I don't think that mm-hmm. men relate to the to, to the threat that uh, a, a sexual affrontation represents to a woman. And I think that when, mm-hmm. I, when I've tried to explain it to men, I've I've only succeeded when I've tried to make it about their sister, their mother, or their friend. You know, and I think mm-hmm. you made this point earlier, which is it's really it's really important that men uh, conceive this in their minds. Um, like what ha- what would happen? If one of your closest friends was a victim of sexual harassment, right, and mm-hmm. um, and that's a compelling thought, it really is because it is. Yeah, I've spoken to you now for a total of half an hour, right? Mm-hmm. But now I suddenly feel like much more motivated to uh, stand up for for this cause because until I've met you, I haven't actually known someone who has publicly uh, stated or at least uh, stated. Uh, that uh, that she's been uh, sexually assaulted. So um, that that's a powerful statement to make on on the part of anyone who's been sexually assaulted. There's a sort of a, mm-hmm. at the Munmukti retreat, which happened this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. um, we made a big point of being insurgents, and what that means mm-hmm. is that. In, in an environment where people are saying one thing, we say a different thing. So mm-hmm. the context of that over the weekend was people not respecting mental health and 
we are the insurgents in that room given our knowledge or our perspective mm-hmm. or our experiences and we say things like that's not how you talk about depression or uh, this is not how you talk about women or this is not how you talk about mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, parents even right so mm-hmm. uh, anyone who could be possibly a victim of mental uh, illness needs to be uh, defended and kind of uh, endorsed mm-hmm. so um, I think by 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 speaking on this podcast you are uh, demonstrating an act of insurgency because you are saying uh, here I am uh, here's my story and here's uh, how I feel about what happened and mm-hmm. and you've made an ally of me where you just had uh, a friend in me right you had someone mm-hmm. who agreed with you but now I have now you have someone who um, actually stands with me yeah I mean I think it's more meaningful this way like I could have said I stand exactly. with you but now I mean it you know I don't know. I don't know if that's crass. I just feel like that's true because of of uh, hearing you and knowing you. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I hope that the men in this uh, audience will kind of feel the same way. I hope so too. I mean, like I said, you know, none of this is limited to you know a certain gender or a certain anything really. It's not you know something that a certain ethnicity specifically only experiences. It's not something that only one gender experiences. It's, it's an everybody problem. Like, I, I think um, the Me Too movement should have really been us too, because it's not just Me Too. It, it, it speaks to all of us. I mean, it, while we think, you know, it may just be me, we don't realize how many other people around us it's affecting. That's a good thought. I like that, actually. Us, too. Thank you. <laughs> um, your brown girl is showing. <laughs> I know. Yeah. What can I say? You know, I, I have enjoyed our time, obviously, a lot. And uh, I wanted to ask if you had anything you wanted to say to the audience as to where to find you, what you're doing, uh, how you're feeling these days, you know, what, whatever you <laughs> want to tell the audience, you're free to. Bad experiences are not what define you, it's what you make out of those experiences that actually define you. Um, so, and this isn't, you know, again, this is not limited to sexual assault, rape, harassment. It can be anything, any sort of bad experience that you may feel defines you, that might may, that you may feel that everybody looks at you for that bad experience and sees you for that bad experience, it's, it's not the case. You you are what you, you see yourself as. Don't, don't ever feel like you're obligated to be a certain way, feel a certain way because someone else is scrutinizing you in a certain way. Um, I have stopped calling people that have experienced what I have victims because I think that that makes us sound like very weak individuals and I know not just from my own personal experience but from talking to other people that have been through very similar if not worse um, that we actually are very very strong 
Um, especially, I feel like the ones that, you know, don't necessarily say how they feel. Um, I feel like they're some of the strongest people out there because they are feeling so forced to um, keep something that, you know, shouldn't be so hard to hide um, to themselves. Um, but I guess on a more lighter note on that, <laughs> um, so as Anna mentioned, I am a writer for Brown Girl Magazine. So if you type my name in at browngirlmagazine.com, um, you can definitely find me there. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter. Um, I will definitely ask Anna to leave my um, handles for you guys. Mm-hmm. But don't follow her in real life unless you ask her for permission. That, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the nice thing to do, right? Yeah, consent is key, guys. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and you know, if you, um, want to contribute to Munmukti, um, uh, we have a testimonial section and we'd love to hear from you, whether that's anonymously or, um, you know, if you want to put your name to your experience, we'd love to hear from you. Um, uh, because our biggest goal at Munmukti is to you know, get rid of the stigma around mental health, mental illness, anything related to the negativity that a lot of people face in our society and that goes pretty silent for the most part. So I guess I'd like to end by saying that as as weak as you may think of yourself to be, you're actually 10 times stronger than you, you know, may perceive yourself to be. Um, so use that strength positively, not just for yourself, but um, also use that positively for the people around you. And I think if we really start doing that, we can make a huge difference. I couldn't have thought of a better way to end because um, it's so true. And I've, I, I haven't gone through something nearly as uh, intense as what you've gone through or a lot of other people, mm-hmm. right? Um, but this weekend kind of hit it home for me because we heard at the uh, Slam to Sigma event at UT Austin from people who experienced these kinds of things. And so uh, a recurring theme was it's normal to go through bad things, you know? Mm-hmm. And when people call you a victim or you call yourself a victim or you... Um, or keep being barraged by questions as to are you doing better or how can I help you? There's a sense in which mm-hmm. this, the intent of those statements is that you are somehow broken or that you are somehow incomplete or imperfect. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas what I'm hearing from you is that these events have the potential to make you stronger and uh, at a greater state of self-realization than you would have been before. Um, exactly. I mean, I, I definitely don't think you know anybody should ever go through what you know I've gone through or what so many other people have gone through right um, but I think the bottom line is that if, if you do end up going through something like this mm-hmm. don't blame yourself right. it's never it's never the survivor's fault I want to extend a thank you to our guest Vaidehi our team, 
and to you, our listeners. It's because of you we tell these stories, and it's your stories we tell. So if you have a story of your own, or know someone who does, speak up at manmukti.org. My name is Anand Jainti. See you next time.